0: One generation shall praise your works to to another and shall (laughs) declare your mighty acts. I will meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing of your righteousness.
1: I love that song because it's a reminder to me of one of those truths that we live in. You know, you get up every morning and there are a couple of different kingdoms that are reigning on this earth and you are in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, having been sent out each and every day for his purposes and his will in this world. Isn't that exciting? What an exciting role we play so let's let's join in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, drawing each and every one of us into this house of worship and prayer this morning, that we might gather together as a family in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and for your purpose. Lord, we ask you to direct our time together, that we may rejoice in you, our God and our Lord and Savior, and that we may, Um, hear from you through pastor ray we ask your blessing on this time this morning in jesus holy name amen
2: the divine fire what was that i will give them a new heart and a new mind when a person comes in contact with a living God, he or she will never be the same. That divine fire either draws us or drives us, saves us or destroys us, helps us or hinders us. Accepted and utilized, it becomes a boon and a blessing. Rejected, it becomes a bane and a curse. One dying thief was drawn to the warmth of the savior. He responded in faith and was saved. The other dying thief turned away and rejected God's compassion and was forever lost. God takes the weak and makes them strong. He takes the vile and makes them clean. He takes the worthless and makes them worthwhile. He takes the sinful and makes them pure. With this in mind, thus saith the Lord, I will give them a new heart and a new mind. I will take away the stubborn heart of the stone and will give them an obedient heart. No, you will never be the same once you know Christ. What difference will he make in your life today? In the hope for today, which thief on the cross are you? One doubts and cries out, if you were the son of God, You would get me out of this trial, the other confesses. (laughs) Only the Son of God would have entered this trial with me.
3: wanted to just share something I have such a sweet memory of that um, last song um, our God is an awesome God when my nephew uh, Daniel from Chandler was like five or six he used to sing that song all the time in my sister's car and it was just so beautiful and now he's in his 20s and he's flying helicopters but it always (laughs) used to touch my heart so I thought of him this morning when we were singing that song I love that song Um, I'm going to read from Hebrews 4, uh, 14 through 16. But Jesus, the Son of God, is our great high priest who has gone to heaven itself to help us. Therefore, let us never stop trusting him. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses since we had the same temptations, since he had the same temptations we do, though he never once gave way to them and sinned. So let us come boldly to the very throne of god and stay there to receive his mercy and to find grace to help us in our times of need
4: good morning morning. and when you read psalm 100 make a joyful shout to the lord all you lands serve the lord with gladness Come before his presence with singing. Know that that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we recite the Lord's prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, heaven, hallowed be thy thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, done, on on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever.
0: Amen. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be renewed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Though its waters roar and be troubled. Though the mountains shake with its swelling. Selah.
1: There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, and the kingdoms are moved. He uttered his voice, and the earth
5: melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire.
0: Be still, and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The
3: Lord Lord of Hosts is
5: with with us. The The God God of Jacob Jacob is our refuge. refuge. Selah. Selah. If you'd like to stand. You can.
6: She too.
0: comes from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 21. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of God, son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, another say jeremiah or, or one of the other prophets then he asked them but who do you say i am simon peter answered you are the messiah the son of the living god jesus replied you are blessed simon son of john because my father in heaven has revealed this to you you did not learn this from any human being Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Wherever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for the gift of your son and the forgiveness of our sin, Lord. Such a beautiful, wonderful gift. That we can never repay. But Lord, we can come closer to you by coming to you in prayer, by doing the things you have taught you tell us to do. Lord, and you do tell us to share with others the, the blessings that you have blessed with us. So allow us to share the blessings we take we give today and the and the gifts that we give today. That they may be used in a way consistent with your word. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen.
7: Somewhere between the hot and the cold, somewhere between the new. between my faith and my plans Somewhere between the safety of the boat and the crashing waves Somewhere between a whisper and a roar Somewhere between the altar and the door Somewhere between Contented peace and always wanting more Somewhere in the middle you'll find me Just how close can I get, Lord To my surrender Without losing all control Fearless warriors in the pickets. Reckless abandon wrapped in common sense, deep water faith in the shallow end, and we are caught in the middle. With well, eyes wide open to the differences, the God we want and the God who is. But will we trade our dreams for His, or are we caught in the middle? Reckless, abandon wrapped in common sense Deep water faith in the shallow end And we are caught in the middle eyes well, wide open to the differences The God we want and the God who is But will we trade our dreams for His Or are we caught in the middle? Lord, I feel you in this place And I know you're by my side Loving me even on these nights When I'm caught in the middle
8: Good morning. morning. That song asks us if our faith is only mighty when it's not challenged. That song by Casting Crowns uh, represents a milestone in my life. Uh, That whole album. The album was called uh, Between the Altar and the Door. And it's such a high truth that um, so often what we commit to God at the altar, we lose between the altar and the door of the church. But bless God, he, He knows, He understands our weaknesses. We're continuing with our catechism today. So often we allow our faith to become lukewarm, knowing full well that God has challenged us to walk not only through the flames, but to live in the flames. He asks us to operate fearlessly in the deep end of His ocean, to light up the dark night that is all about us with the brilliance of who He is. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask You to mediate for us with our Father God. (coughs) We ask You to relieve us of our tepid faith. (coughs) Lead us out of the uh, lukewarm attitude we tend to accomplish most of the time. Father, speak to us this hour. Radiate your love in our hearts. Open our ears, our eyes, to comprehend the majesty of who you are. Bless every word this morning, Father, for your glory and the benefit of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of my sermon this morning is Children of God, Part 4, In Search of the Brave. My text will be from Hebrews chapter 10 and Isaiah chapter 20. When we read the Psalms, and let let me remind you that the Psalms are our book of prayer. We learn how to pray reading the Psalms. But when we read the psalms, before long we assimilate a spiritual rhythm. We comprehend a singular common thought which is woven throughout the psalms. Particularly the psalms of David. And that common thought is a prayer. And that prayer goes like this. Oh God, I cannot do this thing called life without you. Help me, save me from myself and the evil one, for I won't last a day without you. This is a high truth. And why? Because Satan is waging a war against the church today. He's waged war against the church from day one, but he's ramped it up big time. And the war he wages against the church is a four-pronged attack. Dogma, heresy, apostasy, and false teaching. And I, just, I, I all but wept to hear Ron tell of the Anglican South, global South, standing up for Jesus, standing up for his truth, and breaking away from the false teaching. But dogma, heresy, apostasy, false teaching, they all tend to overlap, but they are each in their own right lethal to the church. And I'm sure there are those of you who are saying, oh no, he's going to preach another sermon on dogma. Well, I sympathize with you, I really do. I argued with the Lord about this. I did, I really did. But he said, preach it. Preach it or we'll have to talk about Isaiah 20. Do you remember Isaiah 20? Shortest chapter in the Bible. But if you're a preacher, the last thing you want to do on this earth is stand on a street corner and preach naked. And that's exactly what the Lord told Isaiah to do. God told Isaiah to go to the Israelites who were living in Egypt and Ethiopia. Ethiopia. And warned them of the devastation that was coming. And he wanted Isaiah to give them a visual. So you strip down to your fruit of the looms and you go preach to them. And that's exactly what he did. The time frame of Isaiah 20 is about 300 years after Solomon. The church, Israel, has slipped into Apathy. The temple still standing and will be standing for about another 200 years, but Judah and the Israelites living in the neighboring countries are living in apostasy. They've turned their backs on God. What did Isaiah preach? He preached a warning. Now for most of Isaiah's ministry, he preached and delivered verbal warnings to Judah. But in Isaiah chapter 20, God himself prophesies directly to his people using Isaiah as his bullhorn. And this is what he says. Slide two, please. My servant Isaiah has been walking around naked and barefoot for the last three years. This is a sign. This is a symbol of the terrible troubles I will bring upon Egypt and Ethiopia. The king of Assyria will take you away, you Egyptians and Ethiopians, as prisoners. He will make you walk naked and barefoot, both young and old, with your buttocks bared to the shame of Egypt. The culture of the American church today is exactly the same as Isaiah's day. Let me read you this commentary. The culture of the Israelite people at the time Isaiah preached was very religious. They fasted, they prayed, celebrated holy days, and brought their sacrifices to Jerusalem, yet God rejected these practices. Why? The acts had value. The Lord himself had prescribed them. Yet the people's worship was not from the heart. And it was not accompanied by the personal holiness and the social justice that God required in Leviticus chapter 19. The people of Israel had fallen into the trap of religious hypocrisy. Or we might call it selective obedience. They gave lip service to God's law, but with no change of heart and no repentance to back it up. The people would parade their piety for others to see with little desire to truly obey God. 700 years later, Jesus would time after time condemn the Pharisees for the exact same behavior. There is a vast chasm of difference between religiosity and true spirituality. One glorifies God and the other is a slap to his face. But this morning, let's talk about dogma. And what exactly is dogma? Dogma is man's thinking interposed on the wisdom of God. Hyper-Calvinism is a dogma. I touched on this last week. But this one hits a little close to home. Hyper-Calvinism is a term used in the Cumberland Confession of Faith. Cumberland's reject, solidly reject this doctrine. In simple terms, hyper-Calvinism teaches that the word predestined, used in Romans chapter eight, verses 29 and 30, to mean that God has chosen some and rejected others, all before time even began. This teaching represents God as more capricious and arbitrary than loving. This teaching does not present God as the God of grace and mercy. This teaching is hated and despised among non-believers. Because non-believers, to them, it represents a God who arbitrarily hates some and loves others. And you say, "No, wait a minute. In the Old Testament, I remember distinctly that God said, I loved Jacob and hated Esau. But God said this for knowing their character foreknowing who they would be and what they would do and if you've read the story you know God showed grace and mercy to both of them but one of the more recognized Calvinists, John MacArthur has said this the predestined are out there we just have to find them and wake them up to their destiny But the converse of that statement is this. The damned are out there, and we must leave them alone because there's no help for them. This dogma that God only saves those who are pleasing to him is the most hated doctrine of Christianity, especially for unbelievers. And Calvin didn't teach this. But it has become dogma anyway. And once again, what is dogma? Man's thinking interposed on the wisdom of God. And what does "interpose mean? It means to place or position a man-made precept in opposition to the truth of Scripture. Luther didn't cheat, uh, excuse me, did not teach child baptism. But it became a dogma in the Lutheran Church anyway. The ELCA baptismal liturgy says baptizing an infant secures heaven for that child. This is false. The Catholic Church teaches the same thing. But this is what the Jewish bar mitzvah is all about. There is an age of accountability at which time a child is deemed to understand what sin is and what the consequences of sin is, at which time a child is deemed to be mature enough to accept and commit to God's covenant. You read Luther's large catechism, and you realize he did not teach that sprinkling water on an infant's head secures a child's eternal salvation. It does not. He did not teach this. In fact, there's a segment of theologians who believe that Luther would have done away with infant baptism altogether, except that the Catholic Church had ingrained this religion so deeply into its constituents. But if the Bible doesn't teach it, we don't believe it, and we won't practice it. For instance... As I've said before, the Bible does not teach that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was, is, or ever will be divine. It's nowhere in Scripture. This is why we Protestants don't pray to Mary. Jesus taught us to pray to the Father. There's only one Lord's Prayer, and we pray it to the Father, not Mary or any other saint. Their scriptures do not teach purgatory. They do not teach child baptism. They do not teach the divinity of Mary or anyone. But Father God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. This is why we're called Protestants. We protest any doctrine that is not supported by the word of God. In a recent public interview, a cardinal of the American Catholic Church said this, and I quote, now I'm not Catholic hating, don't misunderstand what I'm saying this morning. But he said this, the church is a higher authority than the Bible. In other words, what he is saying is that how the Catholic Church interprets the scriptures is of greater authority than the Word of God. This is heresy. This is straight from the pit of hell. Nothing trumps the Word of God. Absolutely nothing. No catechism, no ecumenical council, no statement of faith by any church trumps the Word of God. We're living in a time when false teaching is everywhere. It's on your phone, your television, it's on social media, it's everywhere. Slide three, please. In Matthew 24, speaking of the end times, Jesus said this. Then, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders, so that to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen one. But if you're in Christ, truly in Christ, that's not possible. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. Satanic signs and wonders are coming. As a matter of fact, they're already here. And guess where they're coming from? When Elon Musk and even Bill Gates are warning us that artificial intelligence is Pandora's box and that box has already been opened, it's time for us to wake up. Slide four, please. 350 AI experts have signed a statement warning of the extinction threat to mankind from AI. Among them are OpenAI's Sam Altman, Google's Dumis Hassabas, and Anthropopic's Dario Omodai. The summary of their statement is this. Mitigating the risk of human extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal-scale risks such as pandemics and nuclear war. 350 of the best and brightest are saying, Houston, we've got a problem. Musk went so far as to say that when AI singularity is achieved, it will be too late for the human race. What is singularity? Technological singularity is the point at which artificial intelligence surpasses human intelligence, leading to a future in which machines can learn and innovate on their own. Sound like Hollywood? No, it's here. And guess what? AI already has robots that can come, adapt can repair and upgrade themselves. AI is already several times smarter than Einstein. What happens when it's 1,000 times smarter? This is like the arms race that ensued after America dropped the atomic bomb on Japan. Russia, Germany, and U.S. virtually started developing the A-bomb at the same time. Imagine what the world would look like if Hitler had developed it first. The development of the A-bomb started a global arms race that has continued for the past 80 years. And it's continuing in AI. And it will culminate in the destruction of the planet. I believe the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ will be the only thing that will prevent it. But if America ceased developing A.I. and tried to put a cap on it, guess what? China, Russia, India, and every other third world dictator would continue to press ahead. Why? World domination. The end game is here, and we're living it. I believe the image of the beast recorded in Revelation 13, 15 will be the crowning achievement of A.I. Slide five, please. Revelation 13, 13 through 15 from the message. This second beast, the false prophet, worked magical signs, dazzling people by making fire come down from heaven. It used the magic it got from the beast to dupe earth dwellers, getting them to make an image of the beast that received the death blow and lived it was able to animate the image of the beast so that it talked, and then arranged that anyone not worshiping the beast would be killed. The greatest falsehoods facing Christians today are already being supercharged by AI. The Chinese have already rewritten the Bible in AI, and if you've read any of it, it is straight from the Pit of hell. It calls Jesus a liar and a murderer. If you remember, I told you an in interview that Tucker Carlson did with Elon Musk, in which Tucker asked Musk, What's your greatest fear regarding AI at the present? To which Musk replied, The 2024 election. He said, if AI is used to write speeches and format debates during the 2024 election, AI will present a logic and rationale that is seemingly irrefutable. Now let's talk about apostasy. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, the total rejection of Christianity is what? Apostasy is the total rejection by a baptized person who having at one time professed the Christian faith then publicly rejects it. This is not the biblical definition of apostasy. Biblical apostasy is ignoring God, turning your back on him. Britannica's definition is that of renouncing one's faith. And so many high-profile Christians, and I'm thinking of preachers and even Christian singers like Audrey Assad. I've played some of her music here before. But recently she's come out saying that she's deconstructing her faith. Deconstructing one's faith is far more serious than just a crisis of faith. It's a denunciation of one's faith. It's apostasy carried to the extreme. If you say you're deconstructing your faith, you're really saying, I no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God. Audrey Assad says there is a form of Buddhism that is very appealing to her. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Slide six. Encyclopedia Britannica goes on to say that apostasy is distinguished from heresy in this way. Heresy is limited to the rejection of one or more Christian doctrines by one who maintains an overall adherence to Jesus Christ. Hmm, that would sound like the Anglican Church. Whoever wrote this has no comprehension whatsoever of biblical Christian faith. Don't let encyclopedia or any other secular brain trust define your faith for you. Biblical heresy is calling the truth of God a lie. There is no overall adherence to Jesus Christ. Overall adherence is a pretense. It's a falsehood. The Pharisees asked Jesus, which commandment is the greatest? And he replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Overall adherence is sin. It is a sin of omission. God demands that we're either all in or all out. Revelation 3 I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. So then because you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will take up your cross and follow me daily. Jesus demands total commitment, not overall adherence. I would estimate that more than half of the so-called Christian churches in Tucson, Arizona could be charged with biblical heresy, calling God's truth a lie. Would they admit to this? Of course not. But that would include those who embrace abortion, the LBGTQ movement, those who deny the divinity of Christ and those who deny the authenticity of God's word That is heresy. There is a faith that does not save. If you deny the divinity of Christ or ascribe that divinity to anyone other than Jesus Christ, your faith will not save you. In other words, praying to Mary or any other saint benefits you absolutely nothing. For she nor any other saint is divine. Jesus instructed us to pray to the Father and the Father only and ask for what we need in his name. A wafer on your tongue and a cup of wine does not dismiss your sin or grant you salvation. How many Catholics do you know that faithful to mass, because they believe that wafer on their tongue is going to save their eternal soul. That is so wrong. The sacrament of the altar is a remembrance, a homage to the Lord Jesus. It is not salvation. There is a faith that does not save. And this brings me to today's catechism question. Slide seven, please. Question five, how do we come to faith in Jesus Christ? You know, catechism is really a study of apologetics. Apologetics is the study of why we believe what we believe. The answer, Romans 10, 17. So faith comes by hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. You have to hear. The word of God. It has to resonate in your soul. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. B, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You can't believe without the Holy Spirit's witness to your heart. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Slide 8. C, Ephesians 3, 17 through 19 from the NIV. I pray out of his glorious riches, he, Father God, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in his love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, in the King James it says, to comprehend how wide, how long, how high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Surpasses reason, surpasses logic. That you may be filled completely with all the fullness of God. Verse 18, that you may comprehend. That Greek word means to receive experientially. That you may experience, not just simply understand something intellectually, but to experience One of the things they taught us in seminary, actually it was one of the first things that they taught us, it was a mantra. And it goes like this, a person person with experience is never at the mercy of a person with a theory. Wokeism is a theory. Critical race is a theory. Evolution is a theory. The Big Bang is a theory. God's word is uncontrovertible. It is immutable fact. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Verse 19, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That Greek word is pleroma. The word describes a ship with a full cargo and crew. A town with no empty houses, completely full. Pleroma emphasizes not only fullness, but completion. Verse 19, to know that you may know the love of Christ, that you may know the essence of all the fullness of God. This points to a broad-based spirituality which is only made effective by our participation in what God is doing, not only in our lives, but in the lives of all those around us. John 5, 19, Jesus speaking. Verily, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Philippians 2. We really have to wrap our heads around the Greek word kenosis. We really need to understand that Jesus Christ lived on this earth as a man. With all the limitations that you and I have, Every miracle he performed, he prayed for. He received it from the Holy Spirit. Everything he taught, everything he did, he did nothing without beseeching Father God and the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. And that is a model for our lives. We do nothing before we kneel in prayer and ask the power of the Holy Spirit to be with us and in us. Our mission is what the Lord Jesus left us. He left us his mission. He left us his mission to be fulfilled. And that mission is to watch and see what the Father is doing and join Him. Max Lucado calls this the sum of Christianity, to comprehend what God is doing and join Him. We are called to replicate the life of Christ. We are empowered by His Holy Spirit specifically for this purpose, to replicate the life of Christ. Our charge is to do exactly what the scriptures record that Jesus did. And what did Jesus do? He met every need that was presented to him. He forgave sin. He healed. He comforted. He fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 61. Slide 9, please. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me we need to pray for anointing. He has anointed me to bring good news to the suffering and the afflicted. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to announce liberty to the captives, and to open the eyes of the blind. In summary this morning, church done right is church done outside these four walls. But are we up for the fight? You may remember my sermon title this morning is In Search of the Brave. Are we the brave? Wilfredo de Jesus is the pastor of the largest Assemblies of God church in the nation. And guess where it's at? Inner City, Chicago. I think he knows what he's talking about. He said this. The moment you stand in the gap, there will always be opposition. But God is greater. God is greater. Reviable fires are burning in this country. But what about you and me? Are we just going to sit on our sofas and pray for the rapture? Hoping we uh, won't have to get involved. Or are we going to push back the darkness? This little church can start a spiritual bonfire in this city. But it's going to take all of us. All of us praying, believing, and living out our faith. Speaking our faith to everyone we meet. We all have a platform. God makes sure each one of us has a platform. Bless John's heart. I was talking to him a couple of weeks ago and he says, Ray, you know, the Lord has impressed upon me that my Santa gig, it's a platform. I get to tell people there's a reason for the season and his name is Jesus Christ. There was a real Saint Nicholas and he honored God with acts of kindness. I have a platform, and so do you. And you say, well, you know, the only place I ever have a chance to interact with people is at the grocery store. Well, just say hello. Catch someone's eye, smile at them. Say hello, how are you doing? You're going to be amazed at how many opportunities will unfold for you right there in the grocery store. You might wind up actually praying for people right there in the grocery store, in front of God and everybody. Hallelujah. God will give you a platform every day of this world. The question is, will you stand up and speak? Let us pray. Father God, give us your courage, your passion for the lost. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Break our hearts for what breaks yours. Open our eyes to see the needs all around us. Give us the courage when we see that beggar at the corner of Walmart to actually get out of our car and say, how can I help you? How can I pray for you? Give us your courage, Father, In Jesus' name, amen. My my benediction this morning, Dostoevsky, you might remember he wrote Crime and Punishment and some other classic works, but he was a committed Christian, and he said this, To love someone means to see them as God intended them. Let's make our mission this week to love everybody we meet this way. To see them as God intended them. And to treat them as God intended. This will change the world. Blessings to you all.
5: Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all.